we're making our way through this mountain. You know, Katie sang the song, I'm not going to move the mountain. I'm going to teach you how to climb. And that's kind of a good picture of us delving in to the book of Revelation. It's like a mountain. How many of you have climbed Mount Fuji? You know, Mount Fuji is pretty much a cone. It looks very smooth. But you know what? The trail up to the top is not just right up the profile and all the way to the top. It is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth till you get to the top. And for those of you who experienced it, not in the daylight, but at night, it is even more thrilling, I think. Particularly when you get about halfway or three quarters of the way up and then you look back and you usually start about 10 or 11 o'clock at night so that you can get to the top by morning when the sun comes up in the Pacific Ocean. And when you look down that trail of those who are behind you, there's all these lights moving and coming up. But climbing Revelation, that's not my theme, but that is a picture of what it's like for us to tackle Revelation. And we have just begun. We barely started on the trail. And so it's going to get hard. But I think this morning you should be able to follow. Let's just start out by the fact that this is a book, I think there's no other book in the Bible that has a blessing like this one for us to see and understand. And I'm going to be reading this every Sunday as starters. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Those are the set in concrete items that we will be challenged with as we continue in Revelation. Let's read. Revelation 2, 12 to 16. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name 
written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. Lord, bless us as we consider these words now. Give us understanding, quicken our spirits, that we would have hearing ears and obedient feet and hands and mouths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We start out with a very simple outline of four points in these messages. To, from, I know, and to him who overcomes. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. How many of you speak Spanish or Italian? What word is Pergamum? What word is that? Pergamum. Don't look in your... No, if you've got a, a cell phone, do put it away. <laughs> you cannot look online. Okay, Pergamum. What is a Pergamum? What is Pergamum? In Spanish, it's Peregomino. Peregomino. In Italian, it's Peregomene. What is that? You don't know. Okay. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> the word is parchment. 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 This church was named Parchment. Or the city was named Parchment. Why? What was Parchment used for? Or does anybody even know what Parchment is? But they also used papyrus, which was paper. Papyrus. And the parchment lasted longer and it was made of sheepskin or calf skin. It was dried and then they'd write on it. It lasted a lot longer than papyrus. Well, Potomi the fourth, the ruler of Egypt, realized that in Turkey, which was actually part of the Roman Empire, we're in the process of building a large library and it would surpass the one in Alexandria. So he forbid papyrus to be sent to Asia. So they used parchment instead. And the thing is, parchment lasts a lot longer than papyrus. And that is why Pergamum was called Pergamum because of the library that was there. And they named it after their type of books that they produced. I thought, that makes a lot of sense. So this was to the church at Pergamum. From the one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. Who suspects what we're going to talk about today? The two-edged sword. What comes to your mind? when you put words and a sword together. The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the word of God. Not just simple words written on calf skin or sheep skin, but words that are from the mouth of God. 
who designed that word to pierce into our hearts. Does the word of God have that effect on you? Has the Holy Spirit really brought a word to you of late that you've read? Oh, that goes right in. We've talked about two-edged swords before. They were not the big fencing type swords or big slashing type swords. They were piercing swords. And they were actually used by the Romans, designed by the Romans, to get underneath the shield that an enemy had up and get under there and get them right up into the, their inner being. That's what a two-edged sword was designed for. And that is what the author, Jesus Christ, is talking about. The ability of the Word of God to get into where we live, we think, that's the Word of God. Don't resist it. Don't run away from it. But know that it's not going to kill you. In fact, it will give life to you. That is the precious thing that we have as Christians, is his word. We need to protect it. What's the best way to protect it? Get it in your brain. Get it off the parchment, get it off the papyrus, and get it into your life. So that even when your Bible is forgotten at home, or your battery ran out on your phone, you can still remember the word of God. And the Holy Spirit can use that in your lives. Let's not make little of the Word of God. And that's what we're about in this church. We want to preach that which is true. And the real truth is in the Word of God. For righteousness, for holiness, for conduct, for strengthening, comforting, bringing it to us that which we need to walk the Christian life, to fight as a Christian, the Word of God. It's the most precious thing we have. We are so blessed these days to have the Word of God and check out different translations. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. It's going to be a little difficult to explain this. Who owns the world? Who owns the world? You know, you're not answering because I've got a loaded question, right? <laughs> Really, this globe was the domain of Satan. He was the prince. He was the one who had received this according to the old scriptures. And we're living on that. But I thought God made it. Yes, God made it. But he assigned Satan to be over this. Or he allowed Satan before he fell, before he went against the Holy One of the heavens, the creator God. Satan says, this is mine, and he is right. And you know, that is one of the reasons why God sent his son to the world. 
because Satan tricked us right from the beginning and drew our hearts away from Creator God, the one who made us and loved us, and he separated us from our Creator God, our Heavenly Father, because of his hate for God and his righteousness, and even hated his son more. So that's the world we are living in. But God is faithful. He is in control. And he is the one who planned right from the beginning of sin. He planned this woman's seed will become the Redeemer. God had this secret plan that Satan had no idea, I don't think, of what it was all about. And so, in his deceptiveness, he himself also is deceived. And he thinks he can win the battle. And he thinks that if he gets many more people than who God the Father has drawn to himself, he wins. That is a lie. That is a lie. Because what he's doing, Satan is dragging every person who gives allegiance to him in their lives and heart to the same damnation that he himself will suffer. That's hard gospel. You know, Christianity isn't, oh, we just need to love one another. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. This is the wonderful thing about our Heavenly Father, about Jesus Christ. I know where you dwell. I know what you're fighting against. But you hold fast to my name and do not deny your faith. Oops, did I read that right? No, I didn't. And you did not deny my faith. Jesus is saying this. It's his faith, not our faith, not anybody else's faith. It's faith from Jesus Christ. He has set the example for us as the true man. Anyone else is just an image of that. You did not deny my faith. And Antipas, I looked at it, different ideas of who Antipas was. He was known in those days in Pergamum as a follower of Jesus Christ. He may have been an elder or a pastor in that church, but he was a witness of Jesus Christ. He was a faithful one. And he was killed where Satan dwells. A few weeks ago when Izumi talked about her mother and we prayed for her and uh, prayed for Izumi as she was going to go and spend time with her mother. And we knew that it was on her heart that her mother would come to Christ. And she did. We were thrilled. We rejoiced with you. Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you and exclude you, insult you, scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. It's his faith. That's what we have inside of us. That's what motivates us. The faith of Jesus Christ given to us by the Holy Spirit. 
I know. But I have a few things against you. Father, you have a lot of things against me. And we want to be in that place of an attitude of repentance. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. I would encourage you, you probably heard the story in Sunday school, but it's more graphic in Numbers 21 to 25 of Balaam and Balak. Fascinating story. You think C.S. Lewis was great to read? Read Numbers 21 to 25. Ah, That's where Lewis got his ideas of speaking animals. Okay, I whetted your appetite. Go look at it. Read it this week. It's quite a revelation of where the people of God are going and we need to be careful in these days. This is a word for us to heed, particularly in our day. I think this book of Revelation was written for our age. We need to heed it. We need to read it. So you also have some who are in the same way holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. The Nicolaitans were those who had a lopsided gospel. Lopsided in that, let's just love one another. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about how disobedient we are. Let's just love one another. Let's just accept one another. Let's just love, love, love. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? No. That's only half of what Jesus taught us. In fact, if you look at the things he said that were not very loving to the things that he said were about love, we would be able to find out that his words were actually not so loving to those who were disobedient and needed to hear. In fact, that's why Jesus came, was to set the standard. There is the attitude that we just need to love and don't speak to that one that you know is going in the wrong way. And you know, you know, you know why? Because you've been there, that they're going the wrong way. And if they continue to go the wrong way, they will destroy their lives. Not to speak of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we go to them and say, Brother, don't go that way. Sister, don't go that way. Turn back. It's dangerous what you're doing. Is that loving? I think it is. I think it is. And we need to be faithful to one another. Not talking behind our back, one another's backs, but going to them and sitting with them saying, you know, I have prayed about this And I'm concerned for you. And I want to just encourage you what you're doing right now. Ask the Lord whether that is really what you should be doing. We need to be honest with one another, true to one another as brothers and sisters. This is a dangerous world. And we live 
in times that are treacherous. And it's hard to distinguish right from wrong sometimes. That's why we need the Word of God. Therefore, repent. Repent. Oh, that is a hard word. Turn exactly opposite to where you're going. There's danger up ahead. That is loving. That is kind. That is caring for one another when you see that happening. And if they say, well, it looked like that. Well, you know, from our side, it didn't appear that way. Can we just pray together about this? You know what? I find that that turns people more toward Christ than to just flat out say, you're wrong. This is not good. You are going to blank, blank. Yes, loving, kind, caring. But we still have to do the confronting. And a lot of the commandments in the New Testament are about confronting one another, speaking to one another, the truth. We need that in the church today. Therefore, repent or else I am coming to you quickly. Whoa, this is getting to be serious. And I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. And who is the them? Who is the them? Those people who are among you who are teaching others to go against what is taught to us and demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. So really, in a lot of ways then, if we don't go to them, but we let them just do what they want to do, we are responsible. We are accountable to one another. That's what the Christian life is about. That's what church is about. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Now this is the part I like. He who overcomes. To him I will give the hidden manna. Okay, first of all, we all know what manna is, right? That's what came down in the camp of the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. It was God's provision. Strange. Very strange that they would get up in the morning and here was this kind of bread laying on the ground and they picked it up and they were able to eat and live. And it happened for 40 years. No grocery stores around. No uh, Maruetsu or 7-Eleven to get a bento. Just went out in the morning and there it was. And that is manna. To him, I will give the hidden manna. Okay, very quickly, I want you to look at Jesus on the day he arose. Demonstrated, lived out what the hidden manna was. I'll just give you a hint. Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Look at it. Okay, that's your assignment. Write it down. I see you got your pencils and papers out. He also gave this to the Laodicean church, who we'll look at here in, in a couple of weeks. 
Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And I think I've quoted this before and said, you know, people think that that's for the unbeliever. That word is not for the unbeliever. It's for Christians who have ignored and ignored his word. Amen. And the manna was Jesus himself. As we already said in Luke 24. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He is the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. Okay, now this gets really good. And I will give him a white stone. Anybody know why, what is this white stone? What is it about? The white stone was used in Roman days in a court of law. And there were judges who listened to the arguments against this criminal standing in front of them. And so when all the testimony was out, all the accusers and all the defense that came for that person, then the judges would put a white stone out there. He is innocent. If it was a black stone, he is guilty. How many white to black? Very serious. God is going to be our judge. Jesus is going to be our judge. Does he have a white stone for me? Does he know I put my trust in him? Is he the one I follow? Is he the one that I'm obedient to? I give my life to Jesus Christ. And he gives me a white stone. And it's as much as saying that the voice came down from heaven and said of Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's the call for us as believers today. I'll give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone. Get this, which no one knows but he who receives it. What does that speak to you? You know, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he knows you in and out. And if you've walked with him and you know him and he knows you, there is something going on between the two of you. And when he gives you, written on that stone, you will know what it's all about. You know what that name means. And it will speak of your entire life, I believe. That's what's so serious about this. That's what's so good about the book of Revelation. And Jesus, through the writing of John, gives us a recording of this, that we can understand this and apply it to our lives so that we will be able to walk in righteousness and avoid those errors that are bound to come, and they do come. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. Thank you for sending Jesus. 
Thank you for the plan of salvation. Thank you that you've given us everything that you could give. And we are blessed. And so now as we go into this communion time, we pray that you'd bless this and bless all of those who here may be under some kind of discouragement or condemnation, self-condemnation or a situation. We ask you, forgive us in the name of Jesus that we may stand righteous in this place as well as before you. We thank you for the bread and the wine. We thank you for the opportunity that we have of sharing now in these next few minutes. We commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.